Well, I believe it was a radical self-expression. I just called a friend one day and said, let's burn a man on the beach. Let's burn a man on the beach. Let's burn a man on the beach. Hey there, this is Evan Shulman. And Steve Robbins. And this is Burning Man. Burning Man according, according to, us. to us. That's right. And uh, what are we what are we <laughs> talking about today, Steve? Today we're talking about going to the burn. Going to the burn. That's right. Uh, because in order to burn, I guess you have to get to the burn or a burn, because there are regional burns, which uh, you just got back from one of them, right? Oh my gosh, I did. Okay. So people are listening. The biggest problem with Burning Man. Uh, and I also go to the regional burn called Firefly in the Northeast, is that Firefly and Burning Man are only actually about seven weeks apart. So I spend nine months out of the year going, oh my God, I want to go to a burn. And then I have two of them like in rapid succession. Um, I just got back from Firefly. Firefly was awesome. The big burn has 80,000 people. Firefly has 1,300, so it's much smaller. But it's also in the woods. So the the dangers that you encounter in the big burn is is you encounter heat and dust and hippies and artwork and in firefly you also encounter hippies and artwork but instead of heat and dust you get like really wet humid heat rain and ticks so <laughs> still challenges just challenges of a different variety but um yeah i loved it and I was going to ask, you know, oh, the nine months that you spent preparing for Firefly, does any of that carry over into preparing for Black Rock City uh, and, and going to Burning Man? Or because of the climate differences, you really can't, you know, have half your stuff prepped for one that'll carry over. All right. So this is a pro tip. And then we weren't, I wasn't going to get to this until later <laughs> in the episode, but here's my pro tip. Delivering the goods I, early. Hey, well, what can I, what can I say? I'm easy. <laughs> um, we, when we got back, we decided, okay, we're going to unload for Firefly, but we're going to, we're going to take our stuff out of our bins, and we're going to put it away in such a way that we can pull it out for Burning Man, or for Firefly next year. And here is what. Here are the things I've come down to conclude. Literally, literally packing is what you're talking about, like how you put stuff into a box or a bag or something like that. Yes, although right now I'm talking about how I store things here so that it's quick, it's e quick and easy to pack. Okay. Because you, you said, can I use the same things for both festivals? The answer is there are three categories of things. There okay. are, this is going with me to Burning Man, but not to Firefly. Dust masks. Dust masks needed for Burning Man, not needed for Firefly. Okay. There's fewer things. Yep. Then there's firefly only things. DEET and permethrin needed for firefly, not needed for burning man. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole bunch of overlap stuff. So things like uh, band aids and antibiotic ointment for first aid, that goes to both of them. Toothbrush and toothpaste goes to both of them. Stuff like that. So I have three separate areas of my garage. I have I call it the unified area, which is stuff that goes to both things. Then I have the Firefly-only stuff, and then I have the Burning Man-only stuff. And when we got back from Firefly, as I was putting things away, 
I put them, and this is the first time we've done, this is the first year we've been this level of organized. Okay. So as I was putting things away, I was separating them out into Firefly-only stuff and unified stuff. Mm -hmm. Then I got out the bin from Burning Man last year, which, believe it or not, I have not opened since we got back. (laughs) And as I started pulling things out of that bin, I put those into the unified area or into the Burning Man-only area. And so by the time I was done unpacking all of those things, I now have these three areas of my garage. And now to pack will be super simple. For Firefly, I just grab everything in the unified category and grab everything in the Firefly category. Done. For Burning Man, I grab everything in the Burning Man category and everything in the unified category. Done. And the only trick is making sure that I put things back in the right category so I can pull them out again next time. And... um, uh, later, I'll talk about the system I use because I've developed a system that I think is just the bomb, as it were. Awesome. Um, and how about yeah. you? Is, since we're talking about storing stuff, you've been to one one Burning Man. I don't even know if you've been to regionals. Uh, what are you planning to do to keep your life uh, out of chaos? Yeah, no, I was I was just about to say, you know, kind of starting with you because between the two of us, you're the you're the veteran burner of sorts. Because um, yeah, last year was just my first time, and I have not been to any regionals. But for those listening, uh, just to clarify again, like a regional is uh, different communities around the world, actually, that have their own versions of the burn with their own names, but it uh, embodies the same principles and generally has the same kind of, um, I would say, you know, kind of conscious experience, but just related relative to the the local geography um, that the burn takes place. And 10 principles, 10 principles. 10 principles throughout, um, throughout, throughout the world. Uh, but yeah, so for me, um, I, uh, when we got back from the burn last year, uh, we got some kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, big plastic tubs that kind of clip together so you can, you know, stack them on top of one another. Um, and yeah, kind of threw in all of our, uh, tenting tent gear. Cause we brought tents, we brought sleeping pads, sleeping bags, things like that. Um, so all that went in there and then I guess kind of similar to your model, uh, we, we kind of had the, the, you know, camping trips, right? So not necessarily a a local regional burn, but Hey, sometimes we like to go camping. Uh, so kind of threw all our camping stuff in one bin and then there's all the extra stuff like face masks, uh, for breathing, uh, eye goggles for dust that happens on the playa, um, and other kind of local trinkets and assortments that we picked up from last year's burn, uh, kind of all in like a separate bag. Um, and so that that's under our bed and ready for unpacking or repacking as necessary. Cool. So this year you're just going to grab stuff from underneath your bed, toss them in a really big duffel bag and you'll be there. Yes. Assuming I can get a ticket because that's another part of preparing for the burn where, uh, earlier this year, uh, there was a online lottery for tickets of sorts. Um, it had a lot of technical difficulties this year, I heard, uh, but regardless, I did not end up getting a ticket, um, so that will still need to be part of the plan. But yeah, assuming I have my ticket that's good to go and all my stuff in um, uh, either in the tub or in another bag, then the third piece that I need to find is my ride to get up to uh, the burn, and I'd, I'd be coming from Southern California. So last year, we drove up from Southern California and actually camped out a night um, I don't know, maybe an hour outside of Reno uh, before finishing the drive the next day to to kind of enter. So uh, I know earlier we we were you know before we started the recording, Steve, we were talking about you know hey these, there's these different parts. There's the ticket process, transportation, and then uh, actually you know once you're there, the stuff that you need. So I don't know if you want to kind of follow up on some of those. 
Sure. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pick up on the transportation process because for you and me, it's fairly different. You are going to have a bunch of driving, but you can get there by driving. I live on the East Coast. For me, it's a plane flight and there's a limit to how much stuff we can take. And I, I, like, I like burning in comfort. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the plug and play camps, the idea that you should just pay someone to set it, set it all up for you. Uh, I actually think that there is tremendous value in at least having had the experience a few times of creating your environment from scratch. And then, you know, at that point, kind of once you, once you really get it, then I can see sort of going a more luxurious route. But we like luxury. So we bring a queen-size mattress. We bring padding and what's essentially essentially padding and like floor. It's not exactly carpets, but we bring blankets that we can put down on the carpets are on the floor to, to feel like carpets. We put padding underneath. We bring a stove. We bring all kinds of stuff. So at the end of the day, our packing, even if we were driving from Southern California, it would be a big deal. But coming from Boston, there's no way we can get stuff out there, so, at least not, not unless we wanted to drive 3,000 miles. <clears throat> so what we do is there are a couple of boxcars, of train boxcars, that leave from Boston. And the whole Boston Burner community pitches in to get space. You, you buy space by the cubic foot and you um, zip off to the truckload day and you take all of your 25 bins full of your, your floor tiles and your padding and your mattresses, stick it all in this truck. It gets shipped out to you, dropped off on the playa, not necessarily close to your <laughs> camp, unfortunately. Um, uh, this year, in fact, it's going to be about a mile away from our camp. So still not entirely sure how we're going to get our stuff from the truck over to our camping mm -hmm. area. Um, but then but then all of our stuff is, is done and it's loaded on the truck. So we basically have to be ready, ready and packed for truck load on August 3rd. And then after August 3rd, we're good to go. We basically just need to carry and carry on bag on the plane and go, you know, go fly out. Um, now, again, since we are not driving our own vehicle, we have a couple of options. One is the Burner Express. The Burner Express is a bus that is run by Burning Man, and it is explicitly an attempt to encourage more people to not take their own car, but to go together in buses. Because you, uh, Gate Road, which is the road that you are on to get into the burn, Gate Road can be a five to six hour wait sometimes. And in fact, there was a day of you, uh, there was a a year, a couple of years ago, where there was a giant rainstorm and they shut down the city, basically. They, they shut down all new entrants because they didn't want cars. They, cars would get so caked in the clay that, that they wouldn't have been able to move. So people had to sit on Gate Road for 48 hours wow. waiting to get in. And you know, that was their burn. <laughs> like, like well, welcome to Burning yeah. Man. This is, you know... This is this is immediacy. This is this is this is your experience right now. You better find a way to enjoy it. Now there are porta potties along Gate Road, so you know it's it, 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 there was at least that. But basically, you know, it was it was an interesting experience. I really don't want to go through that particular experience myself. Mm -hmm. But we can't we, since we don't have a, a car. Um, we would love to take the Burner Express, which bypasses Gate Road and just takes you right into the city. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's incredible. And it only runs during the main days of the event. We like to show up early arrival because we help set certain things up and we do some volunteer work prior to the start of the event. And they do not have a Burner Express for early arrival. 
So what we do instead is we have to find a car to rent. And uh, the car rental places in Reno and surrounding cities have very much figured out that they can absolutely bilk burners for everything they're worth. So if you can find a place that's willing to rent to you, which is not guaranteed, um, a lot of times they will do things like tack a $300 cleaning fee mm. onto the car if they know you're going to Burning Man. Now, I'm not totally sure how legal this is because I was looking at our rental contract and our rental contract didn't actually say, like there was nothing in the contract that said you're going to be charged an extra fee for going to Burning Man. Mm -hmm. It said you'll be charged an extra fee if you return the car in bad condition. However, when we leave the burn, we actually take the car to a car wash and we, we detail it ourselves. Mm -hmm. It takes a few hours, but you know it saves us hundreds of dollars in cleaning fees. So uh, uh, to review, we get all of our stuff together. We put it on a boxcar. We fly out to the Reno area. We rent a car. We usually reserve it in advance. Uh, we rent a car for, um, that we can take out to the burn. Um, and the only reason we do that is because we can't take the burner express. If you're going normal entry, take the burner express. It will, it will save you so much hassle. I mean, it's really wonderful. And that, um, does that only leave from San Francisco? Is that correct? No, no. It, they have one from San Francisco and I believe they have one coming in from Reno. Like, I think you can actually get one at the Reno airport. Like you can get off your flight and just get on the burner express and it will be full of other fun burners. Nice. So you also, there's also a social component to it, which I'm particularly fond of. I, I like being social. Yay, social. So, um, uh, right. So those are, those are the, 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 the major steps. Then you get in your car and you drive out to the city. And if you sent stuff in a boxcar like we have, then you have to go find the boxcar and figure out how the heck you're going to get the stuff from your boxcar over to your campsite. Do you rent a particular um, car to help? help out with that like are you renting a pickup truck or i think we're going to do that this mm -hmm. year um, uh, a couple years ago we rented a minivan because we also combined burning man with the eclipse viewing so we knew we were going to be living out of this van for several days in fact for a couple weeks and we lived out of the van for the eclipse and then we went to burning man and it was a great van i mean it, it we had when we rented it we rented something large enough for us to sleep in during the eclipse yeah so since, since we knew that it was sleepable in, um, we could also then just take it to the burn itself. It, it was great. So we may, it was also more expensive than a regular yeah. rental, but we may decide to do something like that again this yeah, year. Yeah, we were lucky. And the friend that we drove up with, um, we used his dad's like old minivan. <laughs> so uh, we you know, took out all the seats except for one in the, the middle row because it was just three of us in the minivan. And then we just loaded that thing up. Plus we had um, some like roof rack uh, space. We kind of threw up, um, you know, they come in different ones. There's like a hard shell one or soft case one, but that allowed us to put a lot of extra stuff on top. Plus we had a bike rack on the back that we secured our um, two bikes too. One of them was a tandem bike. So minivans are amazing. They're like tanks uh, or pickup trucks, but with a cover. So highly recommend minivans. And we just got lucky that it was, you know, a pretty solid uh, older one that was okay to kind of bring out there. And I, I have seen people that rent, um, you know, there's some like RV rental companies uh, that is kind of like a minivan and there's like a place to sleep in the minivan when you, you know, were to go camping, like kind of RV camping. Um, a lot of people do drive their own RVs or probably rent RVs. And then I've also seen people rent um, moving trucks. 
Um, in the spirit of decommodification, I won't mention any brands, but you know, think of the big moving truck that's basically a, a heavy-duty um, engine in the front and then just a big rectangular uh, cube of moving space in the back. Uh, people will bring all their stuff in that. And, and last year I had a friend that came. He flew in from New York, uh, rented uh, one of those moving trucks, and um, just pulled that up to his camp, and he slept in that. Uh, so he just had a mattress down, slept in it and had all his stuff in there. And that made it pretty easy to kind of, you know, ship in and then ship out. And so he didn't have a tent or anything like that, but, um, I've actually seen a couple of people who have turned moving trucks into a, an entire bedroom. It's really yeah. cool. I mean, it's a great idea if you, if you can do it now, one, I, I am going to, uh, going to give one warning to anyone who's thinking of doing like that. It, it is. <laughs> Well, it, hot is one thing, but hey, you can you can put an air conditioner in there. That's true. Or a, or a swamp cooler. We we bring a swamp cooler again. This is one of the things we have to ship out there. But a swamp cooler, which works only really, it, it only works in a dry environment. But Burning Man's a dry environment. You fill it with water. It has a fan, and you'll also need a generator or something something to power it. Uh, but it has a fan. You fill it with water, and it just evaporates the water, and then blows the cool air um, uh, throughout the throughout the whatever the tent is in or wherever it is. And it keeps our, it keeps our tent cool enough that it's survivable during the day. Some people's tents, if you don't have a shade structure and don't have a swamp cooler, it can get too hot to be in your tent during the day. We don't have that problem. Our tent, you know, our, our, our tent is still hot by daily standards. It's probably in the eighties, but it's perfectly livable as opposed to being over a hundred, which it can get if you have a if you have a, a tent that's just in direct sunlight. Mm. So swamp cooler is a good thing to bring. Um, you know, obviously your, all of your regular toiletries and your clothes, chapstick, some way of eating while you're there because you're going to need to provide for yourself. I am really, some of there, there are places that I want to spend my time and effort and places where I don't. And food is one of the places I don't want to spend my time and effort. So I just get, I, I, my second year at the burn, I bought a couple meals of every brand of dehydrated camping food I could find. Mm -hmm. And I tried all of them. And the best by far is a brand called Mountain House. And it is super, super tasty. Last year, I just bought a 14 day supply of Mountain House meals. And that's all I ate. I had a little burner to, well, I mean, I ate stuff that I found around the city, but, but but the bulk of my nutrition came from my mountain house meals. They were tasty. They were delicious. All it required was one burner and a pot and some water. And boom, I was a able camping to keep burner, myself... a, a cooking burner. Yeah. 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 Oh, right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> in this, in this context, that could be just, many just one person to open up the pack and open it, get it ready. Um, but is that, sorry. And I, I had interrupted, but what was the, was that the caveat with, um, staying in a moving truck? Oh, right. The caveat. Huh, sorry. I never got to the caveat. The caveat is that on the drive back uh, and the drive out there, for that matter, I have seen people maneuvering these large vehicles on this tiny two-lane highway, which is what leads to and from, you know, to, to and from Reno uh, out to the mm -hmm. burn. And um, I don't know what it's like during entrance day, but certainly during exodus when everyone is leaving all at the same time. Um, you know, if you're, if, if you take slightly too sharp a turn or if something goes wrong and statistically there are enough people 
happening that something will go wrong with someone's thing. You know, maybe you'll run out of, you'll overheat or you'll run out of gas or whatever. When something goes wrong with one of these really large vehicles, like one of these trailers, you know, it's, it's, you, there's 80,000 cars all trying to leave at once. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really hard to get, uh, to get a rescue truck, you know, or AAA or whatever to come out and help fix your, fix your car. Not because they don't want to, but, you know, number one, you are two or two, two to three hours from the nearest town, mm-hmm. which, you know, is important to remember. This is, this, this is held far away from civilization. Um, uh, but then the second thing is just that with so many people traveling at the same time, it's simply physically hard for rescue vehicles to get in there. So be really careful if you decide you want to bring some big truck with a, you know, with a, uh, with a, a trailer in back and you've never driven a truck with a trailer before and you're not completely sure you know what you're doing, think twice about that. Yeah. Because this is not necessarily the place where you want to do your learning curve. Yeah. And I think that that's a good way, um, you know, we've been kind of talking about transportation and some of the things to think about buying and, uh, and bringing with you. And, um, we can continue to kind of go through a list. There actually is, and we'll, we'll share this in the notes, uh, but the kind of official survival guide at survival.burningman.org. And they get into a lot of this as well. Um, there's also burningman.org slash event slash preparation, which talks a lot uh, about different tips. And I'm sure if you go to YouTube or plenty of other podcasts, you know, everyone kind of has their own, you know, maybe short list of, you know, must haves. But I wanted to kind of go back to kind of some frameworks for thinking about this. So Steve, as you've been saying, um, you know, there's kind of a, uh, maybe a risk learning, learning curve uh, way to kind of evaluate what to bring. So uh, when we're talking about toothpaste, just bring your trusted, uh, you know, easy, you know, whatever toothpaste you want. But when it comes to the bigger stuff, more uh, kind of uh, absolutely necessary transportation and, you know, camping tent, um, perhaps air on the side of not the biggest, fanciest thing, uh, but something that, you know, you're familiar with, you're familiar with, uh, the tent, how to set that up. You're familiar with, um, I don't know the, the flashlight that you're using. Um, because yeah, you want to, from my perspective, you want to be pretty sure about the kind of lifeline tool, so to speak. Um, so that's one way to, I think, kind of think about, Hey, if I have to get this thing, do I want to do something new that I'm unfamiliar with or something that I'm, you know, a little bit more, uh, reliable with, um, maybe air towards the reliable one. Cause again, you're going to the desert. Um, yeah. and then the, well, and yeah, also, remember, remember people, um, if you're listening, this is not Disney world. Yeah. A lot of people now go to now go to Burning Man thinking, oh well, you know, all the problems are solved. This is just like a, a blah 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 festival. This is not like a blah 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 festival. This is held in the desert. It may be over a hundred degrees, and you are expected to provide for yourself. Um, you know, when I when I, I think in one of the early episodes of this podcast, we talked about some reporter, this reporter who had written a thing saying, oh, I went to Burning Man and it was lame, and. Part of what she wrote about in her article was she didn't even bother to pay any attention to, you know, to the stuff she was supposed to bring. She kind of started looking at it while they were while they were in line at Gate Road. And look, the the first thing the ticket says is you may die at Burning Man. Like like it actually says that on the ticket. That's part of the contract is you absolve them from any blame, etc. And every year people do die in any gr- gathering of, of eighty thousand people. That's going to happen. Um, uh, for a week, uh, let you know. Don't let it be you. 
and take the time to figure out what you should be bringing and make sure that you are well stocked. Do not rely on other people to take care of you. Number one, that's, that's, that's imposing on them and it's impolite. Number two, it's totally out of the spirit of the whole of it. Yeah. So, um, uh, can I say a word about tents? Yeah. Kodiak canvas tents. They are expensive. They are extremely heavy and they will keep the dust out. Do not, under any circumstances, bring a tent that has mesh because the dust will get through the mesh and coat everything that you own faster than you can say, oh my gosh. And once it has coated everything you own, as I'm sure you can attest, Evan, you can't get it out again. Uh, that's true, unless you try very, 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 very hard, and even then, no, you're not going to get it all out. I think last year we brought a regular... Um, yeah, just a regular kind of camping tent. And it does have the little zippers on the top, you know, to kind of vent it um, throughout the night. And if you don't zip it up, I mean, dust will still get in there, but especially if you don't zip it up and you're out during the day and a sandstorm um, or dust storm comes, uh, yeah, your stuff's going to be caked. So, you know, again, in my mind, when I was out there, I was like, oh yeah, it's a tent, no problem. We're going to keep it aired out. But even just keeping it unzipped for, you know, I think it was like half of one day, uh, our stuff got caked and it makes it really difficult to um, clean up once you get back. And I think, you know, even now, even though we sprayed it and washed it down and used vinegar and all this stuff, um, even now when it's in our storage tub, uh, there's still a little bit of, you know, uh, playa dust residue on it. Um, But that, and that makes me think of the other model that you would use to kind of like, Oh, is this something that I'm familiar with? Or is it a little bit riskier, a little bit newer, but Steve, you had said something earlier as well. I'm trying to remember. I think it was, uh, I don't know. It'll, it'll, it'll come back to me, but just another framework for kind of thinking through, um, what's necessary and and what's sufficient perhaps. Sure. Well, I, I can tell you about my cool packing system. I have developed this over, I guess, three, three years now, the three years that I've gone. And this is totally over the top anal retentive. I'm just going to own that right now, right? I'm a productivity, I have a productivity podcast. And so I go overboard, but, um, it is an overboard that, that is, that I do under the spirit of, I would rather spend three hours of preparation at home in air conditioning so that things will go super fast and easy on the playa than spend two hours on the playa that I otherwise wouldn't have to spend. So what I'm doing here is I'm optimizing for, uh, I'm optimizing for, for being able to do a little bit more work, but do that work at home where I have food and creature comforts so that once I'm on the playa, I will do less work. Nice. Yeah. And so here's what I do. And this is, this is ridiculous. So I'm just going to warn you in advance. Um, First, I take uh, every item that I take, not every distinct physical thing, but every kind of item. So like I, I like shirts. Uh, well, okay, I take every item and I put it in its own Ziploc bag. So if I have a, if I have like five shirts, each shirt goes in a gallon size Ziploc bag and I zip the Ziploc bags. Um, if, you know, sometimes I bundle things. So like socks, I use a gallon Ziploc bag and I put six pairs of socks in the, in the Ziploc bag. Once I've got it in the Ziploc bag, this means that if, if I start getting dust everywhere, um, 
things that have that are still sealed in their Ziploc bags will not get covered with dust. At Firefly, the Ziploc bags protect from the wet. At Burning Man, the Ziploc bags protect from the dust. Once you've got them in the Ziploc bags, get a hole punch and punch a hole in each of the Ziploc bags. And I punch it on the thick part of the plastic that's outside the seal. So, so if you actually use Ziploc brand bags, there's a there's like a plastic strip that's that's not part of the contents. Um, and I just use a regular hole punch that I get at the drugstore, punch a hole in that, and then I put a carabiner through that hole. So now each one of those Ziploc bags, I can hang on a cord. And then I just arrange all my Ziploc bags the exact, using the exact same system that I would use to arrange things in my, um, uh, in my house. So for example, I have Ziploc, Ziploc bags that have shirts. I take all of the shirts, I create a little loop of cord, just, you know, I grab a piece of paracord and just tie it in a loop and put a, put a tag on it. And again, you know, all that the tag is, is an index card with a hole punched in it. And the tag says, shirt closet. And I put all of the carabiners that are attached to plastic bags containing shirts on my shirt closet loop. Then I have a pants closet loop. And then I take the shirt closet loop and the pants closet loop and put a carabiner on, on, on the, the loops of each of those and put those on another loop that is labeled bedroom. So I have a bedroom loop that has my pants closet and my shirts closet so um, and so on. And I do this for my toiletries. I do it for my, my linens, which are things like sheets and stuff like that. Um, uh, and, and what I'm left with is this series of loops that mirrors the way things are put together in my house. So it's really, really easy for me to be able to um, uh, uh, for me to be able to find stuff because I just go to where it would be in my house, except that now I'm navigating these loops of paracord, um, and I grab stuff, and then I'm always careful to put stuff back that way. So it ends up with everything. I know where to find stuff. I know where to pack stuff, and then here's how I actually do the physical packing piece. Uh, so I have these loops. And the loops all contain lots and lots of these plastic bags. And all I do is I pick up a loop and I just toss it in a bin. And I toss a bunch of loops in the bin. And since, and since everything is in a Ziploc bag, and Ziploc bags are plastic, and they slide back and forth over each other, that basically everything just kind of sorts itself out into the bin, and I just close the bin. And then when I get there, I just pull the loops out of the bin and stick them in my tent. And then when I want to pack up again, I just take the loops and stick them in the bin again. And I mean, it's, it's super easy. So what takes a long time is the preparation of all the bags and punching the holes. But once I've done that, it is super fast to pack. It is super fast to unpack. It is super easy to do all those things. I can find stuff quickly. And when I'm done using something, I know exactly where to put it back. That, so that's the really long version is- of my... That is awesome. Uh, I feel like you should diagram this out and throw it up on a website or something uh, so others can benefit from it. Because, well, first off, one, these ropes and loops that you're, is it, you're hanging this inside your tent. So it's almost like a, a, a zip line where you just can move things back and forth at like, you know, eye level inside your tent or how are you setting that up? Yeah, basically. Now I don't, I don't always, um, uh, depending upon your tent, like my tent doesn't have any way to have a load bearing zip line in the middle of the mm-hmm. tent. So I just run one, I just run a line across the bottom of the tent. So my stuff inside the tent, my stuff is laying on the floor, gotcha. but it's all in Ziploc bags. So it doesn't matter. Gotcha. That it's, uh, 
Um, okay. Uh, um, but what I would love to do, if I actually had something to suspend the zip line, you know, like like a couple feet off the floor, that would be perfect because because then it really would be like a closet because when you take one of these loops and you pick it up, everything just hangs down and you end up with these plastic bags just next to each other on this mm. loop. So it actually is like a closet. You just have this series of things and you can, you can kind of riffle your way through them. Oh, and I forgot one more thing. Once you've done this, once you have, have created these loops, when you're unpacking, you don't remove the loops from the cords. Sorry, you don't remove the bags. You don't remove the Ziplocs from the loops. Um, uh, the Ziploc, you actually write on each Ziploc what went in that Ziploc. And then you take the things out of the Ziplocs to clean them or, you know, to replenish them or whatever. But now you have this loop that has like these three empty plastic bags. And one plastic bag says six pairs of socks. The other plastic bag says, um, uh, so one says, one says six, six pairs of socks. Um, the other one says, you know, uh, my pirate t-shirt. The other one says antifungal cream. You know, I don't know, whatever your, whatever your, your things mm-hmm. are. Um, so I can just go through the loops and that's my packing list for next year. Nice. Okay, cool. And, and also this story has reminded me of what I was trying to remember from before, which is, um, you had said something about, you know, food, right? Uh, I I don't want my burn experience to be, you know, too much in the realm of, you know, trying to have to find food, right? So, um, obviously you are a super planner. And for those of you that are like, whoa, do I have to do all this? No, of course you don't have to do all this. Um, obviously it makes it, uh, an easier experience on Playa. Like Steve, you were saying, you know, um, you know, three hours in air conditioned, uh, room at home, uh, setting all this up saves you a bunch of time on Playa. But, uh, I will be raising my hand right now and saying, uh, I did not do that. Um, we just had like two duffel bags, uh, some with my stuff, some of my partner's stuff. Um, and very quickly it got very confusing where we would be like shuffling through and like, wait, today's tutu day. Uh, where's the tutu again? Um, so it did give us a little bit more, um, confusion and, you know, spending time looking for stuff in our tent. Generally everything was in the tent. So once we were in there, we were like, okay, it's gotta be in here somewhere unless it's like hanging outside or something like that. Um, so again, there's kind of a a spectrum, right? If you want to be super planning ahead of time, that will definitely help, uh, change your experience so that on Playa you have a lot of time to explore or do other things. Um, for us, you know, we didn't put that much time into it. Obviously it still worked out, but it did mean that there were some days where, you know, we were getting ready to go out and it just took an extra 15, 20 minutes. And maybe we missed, you know, the workshop we wanted to go to, uh, because we were trying to find the thing that we needed to put onto our bike that we, you know, didn't put back in the same place. Um, so I, I think that's all just, uh, examples to show that, um, as part of the preparation, uh, you know, think about what, what type of intention do you have for your kind of playa experience, right? And um, what are the things that you want to do up front to make sure that you have the time uh, that you want to spend on the things that you want? And if you're the type of person who's just like, nope, as long as I have my stuff on me, I have my water to take care of myself, uh, the food ideally to take care of myself, and you're kind of watching you, um, and you just want to show up and you're totally fine digging through your bag for an hour, um, do that. But it's just another, uh, kind of way to think about preparing for the burn is what do you want to spend a little bit extra time on upfront so that you have a little bit more time on playa to, to do other play on playa stuff. Yeah. And let me be, let me be clear. My, I went, I went to firefly 
which is the regional burn, many times without this system. And the way that I ultimately developed this system is I still remember it. There was this one year where I was helping set up an art project and I went looking for my tools and they were somewhere in my bin. So I I started going through the bin and I finally found the tools and then I needed, you know, then I needed the the bolts. Well, I had actually just moved the bolts out of the way in emptying the bin to search for the tools and I had put the bolts somewhere and I'm not sure uh -huh. where. Clearly it had to be within a 10 foot radius, but then I had and so I ended up going through all of my possessions like six <laughs> consecutive times. Yep. Um and 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 I just kind of said, okay, this is this really is not <laughs> this this just is not the experience I want to have. Yeah. Like you know, I I want to I if I'm assembling an art project, I want all of my attention to be on actually doing the art project, not on finding and refinding and refinding and refinding and refinding the tools. So apparently, I'm willing to do ten hours worth of work off Playa to make it so that my on Playa experience. That that among the things that aren't a problem is I don't end up having to spend a lot of time. Yeah. Um, well, and, and that that also speaks to kind of you know the age old truism, I guess, of you know necessity as the mother of invention. And so it's kind of like maybe someone else had this idea and implemented it, and you just never crossed paths on the playa. But Stever, thanks to your trials and tribulations and iterating on what worked for you, now you just made it that much easier for myself or others to have a similar organizational system that might be, you know, good for them. And again, like I'm sure if anyone searches for any number of things, there are probably notes and almost like open source plans for how to do some of this. You were talking about the, what not, was it swamp something? Uh, swamp cooler. Swamp cooler. Um, last year, I think I had some people on my camp who either made one of those or they like found some other kit. And when we were talking on, um, on Slack before the trip of people trying to figure out, hey, how can we cool down our tents? How can we cool down our yurts? Uh, people sent around different diagrams that other people had made of, you know, basically do-it-yourself kits of, oh, you basically go to your hardware store, you buy this bucket, you buy this piece of piping, um, and you do this, and then, you know, we can basically you can learn from other people um, and and take their plans. You don't have to start from scratch unless you're a start from scratch kind of person. Um, so I think that's the other kind of beauty of um, preparing for Burning Man and kind of how each year uh, people can learn from you know what was necessary. And again, I, I probably told this story in another episode, but um, I did not bring toothpicks because I didn't think I would need toothpicks on the playa. But one day uh, we had wound up in the middle of, of the playa and um, there was some meat that was being cooked. And then a guy came up to us and said, hey, here's some toothpicks. Uh, last year, I would have needed this because it would have been valuable for a day like this. So now I'm gifting them out. And uh, it just goes to show that there's kind of almost like a collective intelligence that happens as, as people get, you know, better and better prepared and kind of into the nuances of what would be helpful or what would be useful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and some of it, again, is your own thing. I think the key thing is be prepared, read up on what you're going to need, because people have documented this out the wazoo. I mean, the people who used to go 15 years ago they were inventing it for themselves. There were no web pages. There was nothing that says here's what to do. But at this point, if you're going to go, you know the the one thing I really don't think you have any excuse for is showing up unprepared. Yeah. Because at this point, the preparation stuff is all over the web, and you know you should you should read it. In fact, even as we speak, I am busy ordering uh, goggles, ski goggles, and off roading goggles. 
which I want to use to get around the playa because I need something big enough to put it to wear my glasses underneath it. Nice. And, uh, um, and I had some arrive today and, and one of them fits my glasses and the other one doesn't I bought two different brands. And now I know which brand works and I'm going to return the one that doesn't work and get a new one, but goggles, dust masks, the dust mask that I'm using, I, I read and read and read online and it seemed like everything was just thinly masked marketing for people who made different dust masks. And as far as I've been able to tell in reading reviews, really all of it comes down to the little paper dust masks that 3M makes. The N95 masks filter out 95% of the particulate matter, and you get the ones that have a little exhalation valve. So when you exhale, your breath goes out, and when you inhale, it it filters the incoming air. And I'm just going to get, you know, for 20 bucks, I'm going to get a case of 10 of those dust masks, and that'll be enough to last me probably three to four years because you don't go through that <laughs> many of them. Um, but dust masks, goggles, water bottle. If you bring nothing else, bring those three things. Yeah. Yeah, and ideally some gallons of water to go into the water bottle. Um, but yeah, I was going to ask you kind of what your what your short list is, but we'll we'll throw kind of some of the the tips and ideas into our notes uh, so people can kind of peruse those. And uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's it for now for for getting prepared for going to the burn. Oh my gosh, it is, and we've been going for forty minutes already. Yes. So Gak, I you know what? Um, I think we should we should call it a day so that that people who are listening to this can go out and start preparing. Yes, prepare, prepare, prepare. Right. Thank you very much, Evan. And uh, hey, everyone, I hope to see you at Burning Man because neither Evan nor I have tickets yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we're sure hoping to be there anyway. That's right. Maybe we'll see you in the dust or if not, uh, somehow in cyberspace or, you know, one of those things. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very Thanks, much. Everyone. And this has been Steve Robbins. And, Evan. and uh, have a good one. See you in the dust. <laughs>